0: amen well one last time I want to share on April 1st through the 3rd there are several of us who are planning on going to Greensboro to be part of a renewal weekend where the emphasis is on prayer and so if you're interested in joining us and getting a taste of a renewal weekend which we plan on having a renewal weekend here in September. I um, encourage you to pray about that. We're going to leave Friday afternoon and come back Saturday night. it be a blessing. But we'll get into, uh, get into our uh, sermon this morning. Titled this one, Hope Beyond the Battle. And we're in 1 Peter chapter 5. And our passage is verses 8 through 11. And I'm going to ask you in honor of our God. To stand. As I read from. His word. Be self-controlled. And alert. Your enemy the devil. Prowls around like a roaring lion. Looking for someone to devour. Resist him standing firm. In the faith. Because you know that. Your brothers throughout the world. Are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And. And. The God of all grace. Who called you to his eternal glory in Christ. After you have suffered a little while. Will himself restore you. And make you strong, firm. And steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. God we have come before you again Lord. We need you Lord. I pray that you would. Help us remember that you are the true audience. And that our time here is aimed your direction. We want it all to be for your glory. We want you to get the attention. For you're the only one who deserves the attention, Lord. You died for us that we might live for you. What a God we serve. I pray this morning as we look at this area of spiritual battle. Father, that we'd be reminded that we're not called to sit on the sidelines, but to be in life, the battle. But it's not our strength. We, Father, stand with You, Lord, as You do the work. Guide us in our time that remains. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. This morning going to spend some emphasis on the enemy that we're engaged in battle with, the devil. And he doesn't like the attention. He would much rather work out of sight. He would much rather work so that we don't detect him. So he can do his devilish work and his schemes. Matter of fact, we live in a day where there's many people who do not believe in the devil. They believe that he's an outdated myth, a figment of one's imagination, something that's antiquated and no longer to be considered. Martin Luther, I remember reading one of his biographies, and at times he could feel the presence of the evil one so clearly. I remember in the book it talked about he picked up a cup and he threw it against the wall and smashed it and said, Leave me alone, Satan! He's there. And we need to be extremely careful that we do not forget that we are engaged in a battle. It's it's interesting as we look at Peter, though. Here's a guy who had his failures written for everybody to read since the time of Jesus. Aren't you glad? I'm sure glad that my failures, my flops aren't written down for all the generations after me to see. Remember, Peter, he he said, Lord, I'll be with you forever. You can count on me no matter what. And Jesus said, you're going to die me three times. No way, Lord, never me. And we know what happened. The rooster crowed and he wept bitterly. But praise be to God, that was not the end of the story for Peter. As God would work through him magnificently, in his life, and so we we could actually entitle this message "Advice to the Harassed," because there is a harasser who is out, and he's after us. In our text of Scripture, he says, "Be alert, be of sober mind, resist him." The idea here, it says, enemy. Some translations it says adversary. It's the picture of being in a tough lawsuit with somebody else. That's your opponent. And believe me, if you've ever been in a tough lawsuit, it's not a comfortable place to be, the person that you have the disagreement with. And it it is that picture of, of a disagreement. And the word devil here, our enemy, is he is named. The word means accuser. The word means slanderer. Turn to the Revelation 12, verse 10, and it gives us a description of the devil and his work. In twelve ten, it says, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers, <laughs> that's who he is. He accuses you. He brings to mind all your sins. He brings to mind all your weakness. He brings to mind what you want to forget. For the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. As we read in Revelation. You see for now he's the accuser. He's the slanderer. He is after God's children because God loves his children with all of his heart. So the greatest thing he can do to hurt God is hurt his children. He's the slander. He's the accuser. And so this scripture gives us that, that insight. But we have to be careful that not everything that happens that's bad is the devil's fault. You know, if I can't sleep through the night and I've got a stomach ache, it might be that bottle of jalapeno peppers I eat. You know, you can't blame everything on the devil. Sometimes it's my responsibility. But by the same token, you can't act as if he's not there. It tells us in our text that the devil prowls around. Now, when you think about a prowler, you don't think about someone who is planning on robbing you, giving you an itinerary. Well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to show up at exactly 2.08. And I'm going to go through this window. And I'm going to take these personal items. It doesn't work like that. He comes in an unexpected manner. He uses schemes that you're not aware of. And that you can't detect. As a matter of fact, in 2 Corinthians 11. It talks about how he's an angel of light. And his... Desire, his joy, is for you to live constantly in fear of him. The truth of the matter is, though, we're not called to live in fear. He is an adversary that we need to take seriously. But he's not an adversary that should paralyze us with fear. Because the one who lives within us is greater than the one who's in the world. He is the conqueror. He is, he is the one who gives us strength. And, and notice as it says here in our text, as it describes him, He says he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He wants to destroy your life. He wants to destroy your witness. If you haven't come to Christ, He wants to keep you from finding God's forgiveness, His mercy, His salvation, the fact that God wants you in His family, that He loves you with all His heart. He does not want you to hear that and He does not want you to respond. And if you have responded to Him, He wants to totally devastate your witness. He doesn't want anybody to listen and say that person has no credibility. Look what he has done. That's his heart. That's his goal. That's what he is up to. (laughs) Looking for someone to devour. And we're called to resist him there's a verse i often think of that's in james 4 verse 7 i believe he says submit yourselves to god resist the devil and he will flee from you to resist him we must first look to god before we look at him and i want to look at some things here just quickly that resisting the devil is not first resisting the devil does not mean attacking him It does not mean that we have this confidence that he's nothing. I am going to tackle him. And he can't do a thing with me. I'm super Christian. No way. Listen to this in Acts 19, 13 through 16. An account says some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits. Tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon possessed. They would say in the name of the Jesus whom Paul preaches. I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day the evil spirit answered them Jesus I know and Paul I know about, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. Now we don't attack him in our confidence, not overconfidence. It comes only in God confidence secondly resisting the devil does not suggest we should mock him or belittle him our job's not to call him names well look at you you're ugly little run aren't you and what bad breath you have now that's not the goal i remember um reading that in the Middle Ages the character we often have of the devil, you know, that he's this little guy with little horns and he's got a pointy tail and he's got a pitchfork. That that came from the idea of mocking the devil. Matter of fact, the court jester it came from that idea of we're going to belittle him, we're going to make fun of him because he is defeated. Yet in the scriptures, we are never called to do battle with him in that manner to act as if he's just a mere wimp. Listen to this uh, in the book of Jude. It's just one chapter. Verses 8 and 9. It says, In the same way, on the strength of their dreams, these ungodly people pollute their own bodies, reject authority, heap abuse on celestial beings. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not himself dare to condemn him for slander. But said the Lord, Rebuke you. You see, a lot of people think, well, you got God and you got the devil and they're equal. No. As you study the Scriptures, you've got God and there's no one like our God. He's ruler. He's sovereign over all. But then you have of His creation, the top of His creation, you've got Lucifer, the angel in all of His glory who rebelled against God and was thrust out of heaven. And then His equal, Michael, the archangel, and even Michael, he even he didn't want to go into battle with one as his equal. He wanted to go to the Lord. And and so the idea is, is not to belittle or mock. And third, resisting the devil does not mean rebuking or binding or defeating him. I heard a lot of teaching. You know, we just we just bind the devil. And I understand that there's a power of the one greater in us that we call out to him when we cry out to him. But there's no specific command in the scriptures that say, bind the devil, rebuke the devil. This one scripture I just quoted where Michael said, the Lord rebuke you. He didn't rebuke him. And think about this. If someone really had power to bind the devil, how's he keep getting out? How's he get unbound? Or... Secondly, if you can bind him, how long does it last? So, if I bind him, and let's say it lasts an hour, maybe like you know like you do a prayer chain, maybe we could start a binding chain. If we can get enough Christians so he's bound every hour and somebody take their turn to bind in him, he'll stay bound. But the scripture doesn't talk about us. In a command fashion of, of binding him. The, the, the place where it speaks about binding the devil is found in Revelation chapter 20, near the end of the book, verse 2. This is the kind of stuff that does make you want to shout. It's the chapter starts, he says, And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss, and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon that ancient serpent who's the devil, or Satan, here it is, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended (laughs) After that, he must be set free for a short time. There's where it speaks of binding him. Where God Himself is going to throw him in that jail and lock him up. I love it. It said years ago when little Richard... Uh, Came to Christ, they asked him, they said, Well, what do you think about the devil? He says, Whenever the devil reminds me of where I've been, I just remind him where he's going. He's going to get locked up. So, what does it mean in, in resisting him? The scripture gives evidence to resist him means being firm, standing firm in trusting God in faith. Look what the verse says. Verse 9. Resist him standing firm in the faith. Because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. How do we resist him? We place our eyes and we place our hearts on the Lord Jesus. The one who has conquered him at the cross. Who's resurrected from the dead. And who is our life and who is our hope. Remember this uh, Scripture in the Gospels in Luke 22, um, 31 through 32. Peter is having a conversation with the Lord. And here's what Jesus says to him. If I can get my pages turned here. These pages are really thin. It says, uh, Simon, Simon, Satan... Has asked to sift you as wheat. But I prayed for you. Praise God. He prays for us. But I have prayed for you Simon. That your faith. May not fail. And when you have turned back. Strengthen. Your brothers. What's he saying? Jesus is saying. I will provide you that faith. I am your advocate. I am your intercessor. And the way to do this battle is to keep your eyes on the Lord. And upon His strength and to have faith. Why is faith so essential? Why is it so important? Why is it the essence of, of this battle? Because Satan's attacks are always about faith. Are always about do you believe God? Do you trust God? Is your confidence in God? Is your hope in God? It goes back to the garden. It goes back to Adam and Eve. And what was it about? About eating the fruit of the forbidden tree? It was about, did God say that? Do you really believe God? Are you really going to trust God? Are you really going to follow God? It was an attack on their faith. And what he was trying to get them to do was to say, now wait a minute. Maybe you're right. Maybe there's a better way apart from God. Maybe if, if I choose to make this decision without God, I'll get along better. That was the temptation. And that was what was so awful was they broke off from God and his will and his heart. Makes me think of Psalm ten four. The verse says, in his pride, the wicked does not seek him. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. In his pride. This is this is where that all goes back to. What happens in our pride? There's no room for God. Hey, where God is. There's humility. There's a submission. There's listening. There's a willingness to follow. But where pride is. It's shut down. God, I've got my thing going on. And I don't have room for you. No thoughts about you, God. In all his thoughts there's no room for God. Now, as he says resist him here, there's not a picture. There's not a picture of fear. There there's a picture here of keeping our eyes upon the one that we can trust, the one who can save us, the one who is our hope. And yes, it is an exhausting battle. It is a fierce battle. But we're not alone. It says others all around the world are facing the same kind of sufferings. And I love this in verse 10. He gives a description. He says, in the God of all grace. I love it. All grace. Hey, it's not just a drop. It's not just a drink. His grace is poured on us. It's a waterfall. It's an ocean of constant grace. That's the God we have. That's the grace He provides. The God of all grace who called you to His eternal glory in Christ. You know, I love the picture of hand-picked. You think about it. Spiritually, you might think, I'm a runt. I'm a nobody. I'm a weakling. But you know what's great? He picked me. He handpicked me. He said, hey you over there. You're on my side. Come over here. He's the God who chose you. <laughs> if you've given your heart to Christ. He's the God that handpicked you. It says, after you have suffered a little while. will himself restore you. And make you strong, firm and steadfast. That <laughs> great. Notice uh, what he's going to do. He says, they're suffering. But inevitably, what is going to happen? What is the final word? What will he do in us? I love it. Look what he says. Will himself restore you. It's not how tight I hold God. It's how tight he's holding me. He is the one who will restore me. The devil accuses. The devil slanders. He says, remember this. Remember when you did that. And he keeps bringing it back. And you can't rest. And you you can't sleep. But guess what? It's never been about me. And it's never been about you. It's about the one who restores. That's what the gospel's about. He restores. (laughs) He makes it right. He makes you strong. Even when you feel weak. I love this. It says he makes you firm. A firm foundation. We love to sing that song. It's not a a shaky foundation. Doesn't have a bunch of cracks in it. It's not about to break beneath us. Because it's the foundation of Jesus Christ. Upon which no other foundation can be laid that lasts. It's that foundation. And steadfast. In other words you'll be able to keep keeping on. And whenever I think about perseverance. I always think about what Charles Spurgeon said about that. Snail. Heading to the ark. He basically said, he's, He'll get there. It might be slow, but it's sure. And sometimes in our walk, it seems painfully slow. But thanks be to Jesus, through Him, it is sure. It is sure. It is Him. It is this God of all grace. It is this God who's called you eternal glory in Christ. It is this God that although we suffer for a while now, although we are in battle with the enemy, with this adversary, with this accuser, this slanderer, he will restore, he will make strong, he is firm, and through him we will be steadfast to him, to our God, to him, Be the power forever and ever. Amen. The early American Indians had a unique practice of training the boys, turning them into man, men, that transition to manhood. And on the night of a boy's 13th birthday, after he had Received many hands-on lessons from his dad on hunting and being able to survive out in the wild, to scout and to fish and all of those necessary skills that you learn. There was one final test. The boy was placed in the dense forest all alone by himself to survive. You got to understand the fears had to be intense because he's by himself. He's far away from the village. His parents aren't there. It's so dark, you know. It can be so dark you can't see hardly in front of you. You know, there were no street lamps out there in the middle of the woods. It's dark, and every noise, every sound of a wild animal, you're thinking, "What is that?" can't see. Is it going to eat me? Is it hungry? The fear. And here's the beauty of it. Although every time he heard a twig snap, he he was afraid what it was. As soon as the dawn broke and the first rays of sunlight were seen, the boy was able to look Just a brief distance away. And discover what he hadn't known. His father had been standing just a few trees away. With his bow at his side. Ready in case he was needed to protect his son. He was never alone. Although the boy was afraid. And although the boy thought, how am I going to make it through the night? He was never alone. His dad was there. And he was saved because his dad was there. Let me tell you, we are in a battle, guys. The devil is real, and hell is hot, and he 's on the war path because he wants to keep people away from the living God who loves and saves and redeems, and he wants to take God 's people and ruin the testimony of his people so, so so the gospel doesn't get out, so it's a battle, but let me tell you something. our father's watching. He loves you, and He's always inviting you to come close. Let's pray, Father. Uh, we're all a mess, Lord. We desperately need you, Father. There are possibly some here today who have heard about you, but for whatever reason, Lord. They have not entered the family of God. They have not said. uh, Boy I I need help. I need God. I need him to enter my life. I need him to forgive me. I, I need him to hold me by the hand. To walk with me. Through this rough life. He invites. And maybe today. Someone here is. Ready say, Jesus, forgive me, enter my life, be my redeemer, save me. What a great, great work of God that is. I pray if anyone here is there, just ask God. Just say, God, uh, I need you, enter my life. Upon the perfect work of Jesus at the cross and the fact that he's risen from the grave, he is the one, the one in the middle that brings man and God together. If you're there, just say, Jesus, I need you. Forgive me. Enter. I turn from my sin and turn to you. And then there are others, Father, those of us who, uh, eh, we just, Lord, we're just not engaged. We have forgotten the enemy is working. He's, the, the Bible says he has schemes. And in Ephesians 6, it tells us a whole list of armor. And that we're to take our stand against those evil schemes and Father, uh, just renew our faith, help us to put on that armor, to look to you, and to remember, Father, that what really matters and what really lasts is the gospel. So much of what we live for is temporal, but you are eternal. Just work on our hearts, Lord. We are about to have this time we call invitation or response. And I just ask that you'd work in our hearts, Lord. Whether it's to come to this altar and pray. or Whether it's to make a decision for you right where we stand privately. Or whether it's to make a decision for you before the body of Christ. And to say, you know, Jesus said, uh, anyone who really trusts me will not be ashamed of me and my words. Maybe you want to let that be known to the people of God today. Father, I don't know what you're up to, but may we just say yes to your call, whatever that may be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.